0: The following is a live podcast recorded at the Disruptor Series Live at TBWA Shiat Day, New York. Thank you for coming to our 33rd Disruptor Series. Uh, it's great to have you all here. we got a really fantastic program, as you know. Uh, we're kicking off Women's History
1: Month with, I love this line, with one of the most important women of our time, and frankly, as you'll see, when you, when, when you hear her, she's really one of the most important women of all time. She really, and it's of course Maria Shriver, um, in a world that has truly been disrupted, uh, she really understands things in a way that I really haven't heard from anybody else. So we're really in for a treat tonight. Uh, she's gonna be interviewed by our very own Mr. Doug Melville, our Chief Diversity Officer. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's give a warm welcome to the incomparable Maria
0: Shriver. I thank everybody for being here. I know it's really busy and everybody probably could be at the gym uh, and that's where, or some happy hour, so thank you for delaying. I also could be at the gym.
1: Yeah, or happy hour.
0: Yeah, so I ate some plantation chips. We'll eat more of them later, but uh, I'm glad to be here with you. Okay, well,
1: thank you so much for coming by. It's a real honor. Um, You know, I am not a journalist. I saw, I watched your video online uh, with Chelsea Handler, uh, tips to be a good journalist, so I prepared. (laughs) You did. uh, Because you were giving her a really good lesson uh, on her Netflix show. Uh, Just for the audience to know, uh, Maria's tips for being a good journalist, uh, listen, Mm -hmm. don't interrupt, do not drink before an interview.
0: This was; these were tailored for her. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh. Th- yes, yes, yes. I don't, don't normally ga- have to tell people not okay. to drink before an interview. Don't or date smoke. guests.
1: Oh, that was for. Don't her
0: too. date guests. Yeah, no, I told her that too.
1: <laughs> uh, and most importantly, rely on facts. So.
0: No, I told uh, her not to curse too. Oh, and now- Yes, because she says the F word all the time in her interviews, which is totally unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. So I told her that was unacceptable. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, there'll be no cursing here tonight. Okay. We have a curse jar in the back uh, just you know, here for one I have
0: one of those at home, actually, for my <laughs> yeah. children. They have to put money in the curse jar. <laughs>
1: and then you buy Christmas presents with it.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so I just really. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to just start um, before we dive into the book, and it really is an amazing read. Um, I listened to it on the audio tape and as well as the. Uh, as the traditional book. But I, I kind of just want to ask a few questions about essentially journalism to start with. Kind of what it, what are your thoughts about the state of journalism today? I'm
0: excited. Um, I know we're hearing everything about fake media, but I think uh, there's some really extraordinary journalism going on. Right and um, I think uh, there's a new interest in journalism. Obviously, we see people watching the news more than we have in the past, reading the news more than we have in the past. I think subscriptions at the New York Times, the Washington Post, et cetera, are all up, and I think we see some extraordinary journalism going on. That said, there is, you know, quote, things masquerading as journalism that's not journalism. So I think it's really uh, an important time for everyone and to be a citizen journalist, so to speak, themselves, to find out where their information is coming from, fact check their own information. As I always say to my kids when they go, I saw this, I read this, I go, where'd you get that? Um, We've got to know where we're getting uh, our information from. We all have our own trusted sources. I stay pretty much kind of, I guess it's more old fashioned, but I stay with uh, sources that I know are reputable, that I know check their uh, uh, facts, check their sources. When I started in journalism 40 years ago, yeah, right, yeah. whoa, I look good, okay, <laughs> Okay. I look good. <laughs> but um, way before probably anybody here was born, but they gave me a binder like this thick of what I had to memorize, what, what what were the rules of journalism, how you couldn't ask somebody a question a second time, how you had to make sure you took the person's answer to the question, that you couldn't edit in another uh, answer to a question, all of these rules, and if you didn't abide by them, you were fired. And now people come in uh, to journalism, they haven't gone to journalism school, they don't get a binder, they don't have the rules, and we're in a news cycle that is 24 seven, so, uh, which is why in the book I write about the power of the pause. And um, so I think it's a dangerous time, but also an exciting time for journalism. Mm-hmm.
1: And what are your thoughts on just the state, generally, of politics today? I mean, it's, it's kind I'm of tied excited. in with the I'm news, excited
0: about politics, too. There's a lot of too. new people
1: entering. It's yeah, really I think it's... The casual um, fan is getting off the bench and kind of... Yeah, uh,
0: and I think that's important. Uh, I grew up in a political family, um, and I tried to get my kids uh, interested in politics my whole life, and they weren't interested in it until Donald Trump ran. So all of a sudden they started paying attention. Uh, They now know what a special prosecutor is. They followed the Supreme Court decision. They woke up. Mm -hmm. And uh, despite the fact that they came from my family, despite the fact that their dad ran for governor, despite the fact that their dad was governor and I was first lady, they couldn't have been less interested. And uh, which I find is fascinating. So I think that they and a lot of other people woke up. So I think that that is exciting. Um, I myself, as I said, was raised in a Democratic family, found myself um, campaigning for someone who was a Republican, running for governor, and then served as a Democratic first lady in a Republican administration, which was complex and complicated at best, but we won't talk about that. But, uh, (laughs) But what it did teach me was that there are good people in both parties. There are good people who have good ideas in both parties. And it also taught me and gave me a front row seat to uh, the problems in both parties. And they're deep, they're systemic, and uh, they're bureaucratic. And I left the Democratic Party uh, after I finished being first lady because I was as disappointed in the Democratic Party as I was in the Republican Party. And in California we have a very you know, a lot of young people signing on to be what we call declined estates, aka independents. And I think that we will begin to see people who identify as independents surpass the other two parties. And I think the other two parties haven't responded in creative and innovative ways, and I think that's one of the big problems with politics today is that creative people, innovative people don't go in, or the bureaucracy is so big and so tough that it doesn't uh, appeal to people who are creative or innovative because you have to go through so many meetings and processes and stuff like that that those people either don't come in or if they come in, they wanna go out. But I think if we get a third party, a real viable third party, um, and people run like that, I think you will see those other two parties change in dramatic ways.
1: Yeah, do you think politicians need to get back to the service? Part of being a politician, I think. Many well, I times think people some people are, that are certainly. Are my
0: nephew Joe Kennedy, who gave the uh, Democratic response, uh, is very much in service. If I were running for office, I would implement mandatory service in this country. Um, I think we're one of the few countries that don't have mandatory service, and it's a an great equalizer. I would, you know, you'd get people to really pay attention. If you required everybody, it's a form of a draft in a way, but if you required everybody to give two years of service to their country, I think people would really wake up. And uh, I think, you know, whether it's the Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, you know, um, uh, Teach for America, whatever... Floats Your Boat, AmeriCorps, you know. I think that we should give something to our country other than our taxes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great learning experience. It gets you out of your neighborhood. I used to believe that everybody should work in a presidential campaign once in their life. i worked in several, and it's incredible learning experience to uh, go to states, meet people in states that you know nothing about, uh, because so many states are like a world away. Yeah. Uh, from the experience you're having here. Go live in Alabama, go live in Iowa, go live in Ohio, and you will meet Americans who have nothing in common, or you think have nothing in common with you, but actually in many ways have the same dreams, the same hopes, the same economic aspirations and stuff. So I think that uh, that's one of the things I guess I'm more concerned about, is our lack of common ground or perceived common ground and uh, the division, which I think can be healed, but we have to start speaking a similar language and have some similar experiences. And I think service, national service, would be an incredible place to begin.
1: Yeah, I think when we work with clients, we try to get them more to uh, get involved in service and charity and donations. And coming from the Madison Avenue community, uh, what would be your suggestion uh, for, for us to work with clients and brands to get them as excited about service well, I think as the there's a individual. Well, a
0: lot of cool things. I just did a big profile on Mark Benioff uh, this week on the Today Show who runs Salesforce. And they give people paid time to volunteer at Salesforce. And I think, you know, for many people, they want to volunteer and they want to participate, but they, you know, have got kids at home. They might be a single parent, they're working paycheck to paycheck, they don't have time. So if their company says, look at we pay for four or five days, and that's part of our ethos, that's part of our culture, and you can volunteer wherever mm-hmm. you see fit, and we're gonna support that, that changes their ability to participate. Another thing that I'd really like corporate America to do is to give people paid time to participate in clinical trials, um, which I believe is a form of national service. We need so many people to participate, whether it's an Alzheimer's trial, a cancer trial, an AIDS trial. We have a dearth of people who will participate in trials because it's hard, it's difficult, and it's expensive. And if they, were able to take time off once a month to go participate in an Alzheimer's trial, that would change uh, really science and medicine and our future. So I think that's a big thing that companies can do. you know, through their human resource departments and th- and it would change the culture, I think, of the company.
1: Yeah, that's a great area because people don't really talk about the size of clinical trials or how right. many people are donating blood or participating right. in medical studies. So I think that's a, a well, huge open opportunity. The big thing that we're trying to
0: do with Alzheimer's is to get more and more women and younger people mm-hmm. into clinical trials because we're trying to understand how the brain changes and the brain begins to change at 25 at 25, and Alzheimer's is 20 to 25 years in your brain before you begin to show signs, or in your parents' brain. And so we need to, people were studying people with Alzheimer's and trying to solve the crisis problem once they had it and now we've switched really to preventing it trying to understand what is the difference between a brain at 40 and a brain at 50 what happens in a brain from 50 to 60 what happens in a woman's brain when she's perimenopausal or when she's had a child and now she's menopausal Uh, and we can only do that if people volunteer for clinical trials
1: right and alzheimer's affects women more more so yeah that's
0: uh, and i was saying to your um Boss, or what? What's he?
1: Well, he's the CEO. Oh,
0: he's the CEO. Okay, so he—he's the boss, right?
1: Uh, the check's clear, so that's. The important. check's there.
0: He's the ultimate disruptor, right, or whatever, or something. <laughs> or but he—he um, he was trying to figure out how I was a disruptor, and so he tried to tell you that asked me a question so I could kind of fit into the disruptor model. And I said, no, wait a second. I've been a disruptor in the Alzheimer's space, in the first lady space, and in this space. He said, oh, okay, yeah, so, <laughs> right, right. But I said, uh, because when I got involved in Alzheimer's, my dad had Alzheimer's, and um, I was first lady of California at the time, and I ran a big women's conference out there, and, um, disrupt there, because people said, you can't run a big women's conference, you're First Lady, and I said, I'm gonna build the biggest women's conference in the world, and it's gonna pay for me, and pay for everything that I wanna do as First Lady, because when you're First Lady of a state, you have a door there that says you're a special project, and um, you have no, Budget or anything. So I was like, not down to be someone's special project yeah. or not down to have a budget. That's so, not
1: very inspiring. No,
0: it's not. Like would you special go to your door, project? you get your yeah. office
1: special project? I know.
0: It's so, like, yeah. uh, as my mother would say, unattractive. So. Um, <laughs> So, but anyway, so what, when I got involved uh, at the women's conference, I started programming. I thought I want to learn more about Alzheimer's, so I'll program some tracks about date. I mean, about caregiving, about Alzheimer's, and more and more women started saying, "You know, I'm a caregiver. My mom has Alzheimer's. I'm a caregiver. My mom is 60 with Alzheimer's, 65." Got it. And so I would go to the Alzheimer's Association and doctors and say, "You know, there's more and more women." Uh, Not only are women two-thirds of all the caregivers in this country, but there are also people getting Alzheimer's. And they said, no, no, that's not true. They just get it because they live longer. And I'm like, no, that's not true. And they're like, yeah, it is. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to disrupt that concept. And so I did a big thing called the Shriver Report. I did a big poll, and I spent several years researching it. And lo and behold, guess who was right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. so
0: two thirds of all the brains being diagnosed now belong to women and no one knows why that is. So lo and behold, none of the doctors or researchers anywhere had studied women. Oh, oh yeah, so they hadn't studied women's brains. Yeah. So now they are yeah. studying women's brains and I fund a lot of that research uh, across the country and I'm asking people to look at the role of estrogen, to look at X chromosome, to look at how women process inflammation. And other things, and I say uh, that's not sexist. That's just smart because you want to study where the majority of the cases are, and the results will benefit us all.
1: Yeah, I think with uh, I think with women being at the table, we're going to see a lot of new things uncovered because. Uh
0: Well, I'm hopeful that women being at the table uh, will see uh, men at the table as well. I think uh, women, if they want to truly lead, we don't want to lead in a way that excludes men. But I think brings men to the table. I think, uh, you know, there's no reason for a woman to lead in exactly the same way as a man, because we've seen that. So I think the goal is to figure out how do we lead differently. And so I think we want to lead from a place of compassion. We want to put strength in the concept of caring. I think women communicate well. They use their words well. uh, They collaborate well. And those qualities I think will really benefit companies. They benefit government. And they're really good for families as well. And I think it's really important as we move forward uh, to develop our emotional intelligence. I think that's really important for men as well. Uh, As I say to my sons, I want you to be strong and kind. I want you to be smart, but I also want you to have emotional intelligence. So I want you to get the cue for right. me, when I'm speaking to you, <laughs> uh, I want, you know, and is I it want working? you to, yeah, you're, yeah, is it working? yeah it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a fight with my son on the phone. So um, coming over, he goes, you don't have to argue with me. I said, I'm not arguing with you through text, really. Um, but um, anyway, so I think women, you know, women at the table is good, but I don't think at the expense of not having men at the table. Sure, so sure. I think, um, you know, I think yeah, that that's that really time. important.
1: Um, so I want to actually, uh, everyone in the audience got a copy of your book. I just want to give a huge round of applause to the number one book in America, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and I want to talk a moment just about the, uh, the title. I've been thinking, uh, Reflections, Prayers, and Meditations for a Meaningful Life. So what, what kind of drove you for this as your next book? You've written books in the past, but what was the driving force behind this particular uh, book?
0: Well, because I've been thinking (laughs) a lot about a lot of stuff. How I got here, where I'm going, what the hell happened, what's going on, you know, all sorts of things. And I write a weekly blog column called I've Been Thinking. I have a Sunday paper newsletter that comes out every Sunday and it's news and views above the noise for people with passion and purpose. And uh, so every week I write what I've been thinking and so do a lot of other people. And uh, the readers of that newsletter who are very committed and uh, very compassionate and uh, quite intelligent said, could you put these columns into one place because they're inspirational, they're hopeful, uh, they're motivating. So I really responded to their request. But as I got going, I thought, you know, I wanna combine them with quotes because I'm a big quote person and I get inspiration from other people's Uh, tales and wisdom. And I'm also a deeply spiritual person. So I uh, start and end my day with a prayer. So I wanted to start and, I mean, end each of these with a prayer. And if God doesn't speak to you, you can take the word God out and add, you know, whoever it is you're talking to, or you can just eliminate anybody's name. But I think uh, uh, that's what's helped me. Um, Other people's stories, quotes, Uh, my spiritual life, and thinking to get clear about what I think, what's important for me, and my desire to really live a meaningful life. I think people want that. They wanna live a meaningful life. I think people want to know that they matter to their companies, to their significant others, to their children, to their community. And I think, I hope this book speaks to that.
1: Yeah, I had a chance to, uh, like I said, read and listen to it. Uh, one quote that stood out to me the most, I just want to read this. Uh, it's a little bit long, but um, women, when seen and heard and validated, can do anything. Women are an asset. You must nurture it, value it, and care for it. If you're a woman, never doubt you belong at the table. Never get forget to bring something unique and never forget to save a seat at the table. I thought that was really powerful and really spoke uh, volumes to the moment and the time we're in. Uh, how do you think this moment's gonna look later, 50 years, 75 years down the road? Because I, I do you feel that there's a, a, an awakening happening
0: uh, well, yeah, in the United I think States of
1: America with women globally as well as domestically?
0: Yeah, well I don't think there's the same awakening happening in other parts of the world where um, you know women are still being married off at 10 and 11 years of age, women are still being prostituted, women are the majority of people who live in poverty. Uh, child mortality is high, so uh, some of the issues we're talking about on Madison Avenue are not being discussed when someone's carrying you know, a jug of water and their children are malnourished and uh, dying, so the conversations are different. I myself don't really worry about what's going to happen in 75 years because I'm really f- trying to focus on what's happening now. And if we focus too much into the future or focus too much on the past, we m- lose the moment that we're in. And what to me that quote um, says is that really everybody wants to be seen. Not for the family that they're born into, for the job that they have, but I think we all have a deep need to be seen as ourselves. Your name, your name, uh, not what you do. We live in a society where everybody asks you when you go to the cocktail party or the disruptor series, what do you do? What do you do? And I'm really interested in who are you. I'm really interested in who are you. What is your pay? Anna, thank you, Anna. No, I I, I think that's really important. Thank you for saying that because Anna is different from Angela. And uh, they have common needs, which is to be seen, to be respected, to be valued, to be loved, to be able to put food on the table and live beyond paycheck to paycheck. And then their individual experiences are different, but that need resonates across females, males, other genders, right? So I think that that's a really important common ground place that we all have. And I think so often, um, you know, people have anxiety about do they belong at the table? Sure. And, you know, thinking like someone else is smarter than you, someone else belongs there and I don't. And I think what I was trying to say in putting that quote in there is that you belong. You know, whether you're an immigrant, a refugee, a woman, whatever, you belong. And that's powerful. So yeah. pull up a chair. And it's important to pull up a chair for someone else because yeah. there's always someone kind of with their back up against the wall who doesn't feel that they belong.
1: Yeah, and also you talk about uh, being- And president. that's
0: disruptive, by the way. It is.
1: No, it no, is. That the first is disruptive. thing, disruptive.
0: Yeah. That's disruptive. (laughs) I
1: I think we have lost some of the humanity in in the, you know, what do you do and where are you from instead of, you know, how are you today? Right. Very simple things that actually go a long way and uh we were
0: just talking when i came in here because i saw this story about what i guess they're calling the dumb phone uh that's trending all over and uh people wanting this phone that only makes phone calls and has texts on it without everything else and people hearkening for a simpler time and i think that speaks to the success of this book you know even the publisher was like stunned they came to me and they're like what this book is like exploding i was like i don't know why i have no idea either but i think it speaks to you know uh, a yearning that we all have about the basics in life sure right and you
1: have 65 mini chapters in there that are, are almost this is long like stanzas bedside or,
0: reading sure. this is like pick it up no one's gonna like bite you. It's yeah. not gonna, it's, it's positive. It's very re-inspiring. It's I've been
1: walking through the streets of New York listening to it going, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> But I, I think take that a, people- The power
1: of the pause. Right. Look around. Enjoy your environment. Understand, you know, what, what's happening uh, around That's from a speech you. I
0: gave uh, to journalism students mm-hmm. who don't take a pause yeah. and-
1: um, Well, I don't think many of us do because you're kind of in the hustle and bustle. The fear of missing out is kind of the one way I think way that's of destructive. Yeah.
0: I think it's really uh, destructive to your health. Stress is really destructive. We live in a 24-hour cycle. And by the way, your job's gonna spit you out onto the curb. That's the truth. I've been fired and I made the mistake initially when I was the anchor of the CBS uh, Morning News. I thought, oh my God, this is my family. Oh my God, everybody loves me, it's so great. And boom, I got fired. The whole show got canceled and fired. And I was like stunned. And everybody just went right along, you know, they didn't care. And when I had my uh, first child, I was anchoring the Saturday uh, evening news. I was anchoring uh, the, uh, Sunday Today show and they were, I lived in Los Angeles and one of the shows was anchored in New York and then I would fly down to Washington and anchor the next show and then I'd go shoot a story and, then, and I went to my boss and I said, you know, I, I can't keep this schedule, could you move the nightly news to LA because nobody cares where the desk is and stuff like that. He's like, no, and I'll fill your job in 30 seconds. And, and he did, and he did. And it, it's the nature of the beast. So this is not your family. This is not, you may be really nice, he's really nice, but they're not your, yeah. yeah. And you're dispensable, you're dispensable. And so uh, implement some boundaries, that's kind of disruptive, but it's true. And uh, you know, your job is great, but don't think it's your life. Yeah, That's really important because, uh, especially living in this kind of 24 hour thing, we think we have to be on call, uh, I spoke today. You can. You're entitled to boundaries. Yeah. You're entitled to a life, and if your boss doesn't think so, you shouldn't be working there anyway. Yes,
1: that's a good philosophy. Yeah. I I, I think it all goes back to just having perspective and empathy and pausing. Sorry. Boundaries. Boundaries. Yeah. Did you want to uh, read some of your favorite quotes? Are from we the done? Book? Yeah. No. Well, I. No. You no. No. I we're not done. I, oh, I, no, oh, but you okay. said you wanted to, to have yeah, everybody read have it at a. The end. Oh, we'll read it at the end. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to skip to the end here. I just. Uh, <laughs> I was all excited to... You know. Oh, okay. Um, so let me ask you one question. Do you have a vision
0: board at home? Uh, I have had a vision board at yeah. home, yeah.
1: Do you recommend that for people?
0: I do. I have pretty clear vision in my head. Um, but I think whatever works for you. Some people are very visual uh, people. My daughter, you know, really wanted to make a vision board. And... Um, uh, so I made one with her and it, mine was, I, I write in the book, was really, a, it comes off of a Rumi poem. I'm a big uh, Rumi fan who's a, a mystic poet and I read a lot of poetry, I write a lot of poetry and I've been very influenced by Hafiz and Rumi. And Rumi has this great 2 lined thing, it's called uh, out beyond wrongdoing and right doing, there's a field, I'll meet you there. And I jumped off of that into what I perceived to be the open field, and I kind of wrote to out beyond right doing and wrong doing, out beyond shame, guilt, judgment, pain and fear, there's an open field, I'll meet you there. And I, I really have that as my vision, you know, out beyond gender, out beyond political persuasion, out beyond net worth, out beyond job title, out beyond all of these things that are restrictive um, and that uh, keep us in these kind of, I think, boxes. I believe there's an open field, and that's where I live. That's who the, are the people that I wanna be with, uh, and I wanna think forward that way, and I believe in thinking and manifesting, I think things will be. So I cruise around in the open field, and very, you know, here nobody's kind of thinking that, but it's in my head. And it's in my head politically, professionally, personally, and um, yeah. I, I like it.
1: One of the things, uh, <laughs> like one it. of the things that I enjoy about uh, hearing that is uh, the fact you don't want to be pigeonholed. No. You know, and I think yeah. uh, you know, in this day and time, pigeonholing people is kind of what we do uh, subconsciously, right. without even giving it thought. Well, we're but,
0: judgmental. That's another way of saying yeah. it. And we're always constantly making judgments about people, about their clothes, about their hair, about their weight, about where they come from, where they were educated, uh, all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think it and it's, it's, uh, gets us in trouble because no one is ever, you know, what they are on paper. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think we don't take the time to find out who she is. Where does she move? We make the, oh, they went to Yale, they went to Harvard, they got the MBA, they had this, they must be smart. No, it, it's not that way in reality, right? Can they see you? Are they good? What's their character? Do they take responsibility? What's their work ethic? Are they So how uh, do we change the
1: narrative for that? We have to do it individually, one person at a time?
0: Yeah, and I think kind of having a culture, right? Having a culture that that's what we value. We take the time we pause and take the time to actually figure out who the person is what are they good at? what do they want to do? how can I support them become the person that they want? What story do they want to tell? Um, you know and some businesses I think are better at that than others. I think there's a lot of that going on in California um, in terms of certain businesses uh, that to me is you know is exciting. you know like it, th- across the street at 30 Rock that's not going on. Yeah. <laughs> at all yeah. uh, but you know
1: <laughs> what's going on over there
0: like not that <laughs> I'll tell you there's no meditation room at 30 rock yeah we
1: there need meditation rooms yeah, yeah well meditation is you know, important because yeah. uh i believe it was uh your father that had a phrase that uh it was go internal so you can yes. be eternal
0: right i i included that quote because my dad as i mentioned had alzheimer's and it's really kind of mind blowing to sit across from somebody who is recognized as one of the great thinkers of all time, came up with the Peace Corps, came up with the War on Poverty, Job Corps, Legal Services, uh, AmeriCorps, you name it, Vista, um, all came out of my father's thinking. Uh, and that's a lot, Yeah, right? That's a smart guy. And then to sit across from that guy when he says, what's that? who are you? What are those things? Right. Um, So that really kind of blows your mind, right? To sit and think about that, right? It's intimidating. Well, it's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's indescribable. It's makes no sense. Right. But so when I was talking to him and then you know, he would just mainly sit in silence. And so I had been sitting with him in total silence and you just sit there. And then he just turned to me and he looked at me in the eyes and he goes, you, you got to go internal if you want to be eternal. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> wow. And then he went back in into whatever world he was living in. Yeah, But it, to me, was a... Um, it was a moment that got me thinking, and I thought, you know, he's right. Um, I had been always in pursuit of external success, thinking that would make someone know my name, and not just the family I came from. And my drive was for that, and it left me empty. And, you know, I was the anchor of the Today Show, I was the anchor of the morning news, I want a Peabody, I did the, and nothing changed. And when I started to go internal, not to go eternal, but to just find peace and to find meaning, that's where I found my Right. So I think, you know, these moments, whether they come from someone with Alzheimer's, whether they come from the guy parking your car, whether they come from the guy giving you the cup of coffee, the lessons are everywhere. And if you are present and you pause and you look around and you lack, the judgment that you think only the really smart people can give you yeah. lessons—they're um, everywhere for all of us.
1: One one thing you touched about was how hard it was to get yourself to go internal and meditate, and yeah. it was because uh, you're busy and you're, yeah. you know, you multitask and you're an amazing mother and you're you have all these jobs. My brother and now you had to...
0: Bobby tells the story when <laughs> I went first to the yoga class with him, and then there was the. Um, you know, at the end of the yoga class, everybody was like lying there quiet. And I was like, what's happening? And he's like, this is where we pause. I'm like, oh, no, I started doing crunches. And he's like, Marie, get out of the room. I was like, I cannot sit still. And it was hard for me. Yeah, how do you, how do you. I, I practiced it. I couldn't sit still because I was afraid of what would come up. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, what came up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because I think uh, you know, one of the challenges is getting people to change their routines. Yeah, people are in their yeah in their zone, in their box, in their rhythm, and yeah, that's just kind of where they fit in the rivet. And you know,
0: I I meet so many people who've changed their routines, and some you know change it because they get hit by a two by four, you know, and that. That is,
1: Does it take an aha moment to change, or you feel well, it people could just do it? it takes something to
0: change, a desire, a longing, an exhaustion, a belief that this can't be the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I talk to so many people um, who are like, this can't be. I'm not supposed to be working 24 hours a day around the clock living like this, Working this can't be my life. And I think whenever you think this can't be, it shouldn't be. And that's your, aha. That's, uh-huh, that's your trigger, that's your whatever. Some, some people it's more brutal than that. Um, yeah, and that can get you to change. Uh, but I think that, you know, I think that's why I tried to write about what is a meaningful life, and each of us answer that in different ways. But I try to write about what is power, what is faith, what is success. Um, you know, is there such a thing as a smart kind man? What is the power of women? What is and there is and there is. But I think a lot of women, you know certainly when I was growing up, that wasn't the, you know that wasn't out there like that. Yeah. And so and how, um,
1: how do you see the changes generationally? So from your mother's thinking to yours, to your daughters? Uh, well I from think yours. I
0: think you know people are more evolved, right? They're more, you know, I think a lot of the men, who are in their 30s today and stuff, are raised by women who expected different things from their sons yeah. and want them to be different kinds of partners and husbands. I expect a lot from my sons. And, um, you know, I expect them to be involved and evolved husbands and partners. And um, so I don't know whether, you know, other generation. I don't think they were given the same... Um,
1: sure.
0: uh to-do list or the same, you know, expectations. And um, so, like, I'm a lot like my mom but very different from my mom. And if you wanna just talk, since we are talking Women's History Month here, uh, and this is called the Disruptor Series, I'm just gonna shout out for a second to my mother who was the ultimate disruptor. Um, You know, this is a woman who created the Special Olympics who changed the world, and thank God, there's a book coming out about her next month, and it's called uh, Eunice, The Kennedy Who Changed the World. And this was a woman raised in a family of men by a man who never noticed a woman, And, uh, and she clawed her way, and she fought and fought on behalf of other people. Her purpose was to change the world on behalf of people with intellectual disabilities to make it possible for them to compete in athletics, to be educated, to live alongside, to work in places like this. You, by the way, should hire a person with intellectual disabilities because the unemployment rate is about 98% and they do very well uh, in jobs at like reception desks or routine jobs, so that's something you could do that would disrupt your mm-hmm. culture. But um, she was just a ball buster and she was tough and she was relentless, and she wore men's clothes, and she, you know, uh, played tackle football, and she hung with men, and she changed policy, and she changed the world, and she did it to her dying day. And she's finally, uh, now nine years after her death, gonna get a book about that tells her story. But it wasn't ever given her due in life, because when she stood next to her brothers, people didn't know her name. And, uh, I, I think, um, you know, that's that's, uh, that's a thing, you know. We're often very blinded by the light and the fame and the the person over here. And the person standing next to them could be the most important person in the room. And we don't even look. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you
1: think we do that as a culture? Because well, it's, it's as, very obvious. Know, it's
0: exciting that- to see somebody like, and I think we're seeing that now with our you know, current choice of a president. You know, couldn't even and, say
1: president. Yeah, well, it was hard to get it out. Of,
0: no, 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 no. Because you know, I went to, and I write about this in my book, I went to a retreat to Father Richard Rohr, who I follow, and with my brother. And he said something which I thought was incredibly simple but profound. And he said, if you have a soul, and you all do, so does the person next to you. And so does your enemy they also have a soul. And if you think you should be forgiven, so does your enemy. So Donald Trump has a soul. And Donald Trump has a heart. And you have to, yeah, no, you have to, you know, you can be pissed, you can be angry, and there's plenty to be pissed and angry about. But there's a human being there. And so how we Uh, manage that and how I've never seen anybody really become a better human being by being shamed. I'm always fascinated by people that, you know, piss me off and push my buttons and I try to find out about their childhood and why they think that and, you know, where they came from and I always look at their relationship with their mother. Yeah. Yeah. I try to kind of understand that and particularly with men who are angry.
1: Yeah, my mom uh, always would make me uh date people and how do they treat their mother yeah you know, that was the first question that she would ask me how, how do they treat their mother do they still love their mother do they still talk to their mother so
0: well i, I think that's <laughs> i think that's a very um good piece of advice to anybody male or female is to look at their relationship sure with um the people that are close to them in their life
1: she also uh used to tell me that my dad never changed a diaper three kids And she always raised me to make sure that I change 50% of the diapers.
0: Do you? Because
1: I don't have kids. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I change 100% of the non-existent diapers. (laughs) Um, You end the book with uh, 60 Lessons for Life, which are amazing. Uh, I wish I could read them all. They're practical and inspirational. I mean, personally, I like number 10. Don't believe people who tell you that they can eat anything and still be skinny. I They're know. Lying. I hate those people. Yeah, no, number 10 was I definitely hate my those. favorite.
0: I, um, so but, many women <laughs> like that. It's like, I just don't eat anything. and I'm a size two. I'm like, you are such a liar. <laughs> <laughs> I had this, I wanted to, I had this really powerful moment last night. I went out to uh, Long Island um, and you know when you go on these book tours, they kind of go here, go there. You don't really kind of paying attention to where you're going, and um, and so they said, you know, you're going out to Long Island and you're going to do a book thing. And I'm like, okay. And then it took like two and a half hours to get out there, and I'd been working on the tennis. I was like tired, you know. And so I went. Um, I was waiting in this little room, and then they're like, okay. Then you're going to walk out, just like you said. You're going to walk out onto the stage, and. Um, I walked there I heard my name and I walked out onto the stage and it was this giant auditorium and there there were like rafters it was packed so there were like a thousand people packed and everything and I had the, I walked out and I'm like I'm in the wrong room <laughs> I was like I don't I'm in the wrong auditorium cuz like these people po- couldn't possibly be here for my book? I looked around, I was like, whoa. I should, and I looked looked to the left, I looked to the right. And then I, I looked up and I'm like, you know, holy shit, these people came to, you know, for my book and for me. And I almost burst into tears. I was so overwhelmed by this moment because I was just, I was flabbergasted. And then they, everybody had the book. And I, um, said, oh, I want to read something, and everybody, like, that's all opened the book. Of course, like, you know, the real book, and started reading together, and it it was dark, and everybody had their book, and everybody was quiet, and it was one of the most moving. There wasn't a phone on. There wasn't, nobody picked up a camera, and it was a college, and it was silent. And I read uh, this poem in here, which was really life-altering for me by Mary Oliver. And you could have heard a pin drop, and was, I gotta say it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Wow. And in this kinda insane world that we're all living in, and, and to actually have a physical book, and people open it and read along, and are quiet, and got up and walked out, I was just like, damn. <laughs> Lots I was like, like, "Damn, I'm gonna order room service." <laughs> 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 Damn.
1: Tip number so, sixty: order yeah. room service.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, so, I want to read the journey, yeah. even though these aren't my words. Should we all
1: read it together with you. No. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just open like a, it up. It's, it's on like page. Like prayer service. That.
0: I like that. It's yeah. on page. Um, 82 is that 87? Right.
1: Everyone, we need you to open your book to page 82.
0: No, it's not 82. Oh, I can't sorry. see. What does it say? 87. 87. Yep. 87. And there's this is I you know include uh, as I said I include quotes and you know but I this woman is one of my heroes uh, and she became a really good friend of mine is a good friend of mine she's in her late 80s and um, she's an extraordinary woman and her God is nature and she prays in nature so you can pray I you know, pray in my hotel room or wherever, but this, um, I think we're all on a journey, and I believe that probably part of the reason you're here is that you're on a journey too, to have a meaningful life, and sometimes we don't know what that is, and sometimes we fall down, and sometimes we're, you know, ashamed and feel guilty and afraid, and I write about all of that because I have felt all of that, and I still feel like I'm living a meaningful life. And um, so I think that the, the pursuit of a meaningful life is a worthy pursuit. It's available to all of us. It has really nothing to do with your job and everything to do with your values, your character, and your own path. So I love this uh, poem because it spoke to me at a difficult time in my own life and gave me tremendous courage. So I just want to as you head out onto Madison Avenue, read it to you. And it goes like this, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundation, though their melancholy pause, I turn the page, was terrible. It was already late enough and a wild night in the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice. That's very important. There was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. And I love that because um, uh, so often our voices get drowned out by someone else's thinking. They get drowned out by people we think know more than us. And I must say that every time I thought I knew something and someone talked me out of it, I was right. And I gave my power away to other people's thoughts. And so this I really like because you have to have some practice of silence or pausing or something to hear your voice. And your voice is your best ally, and it will be with you forever, long after we leave this place, this job, this uh, environment. And uh, my hope is that uh, you trust it, you become comfortable with it, you listen to it, you don't doubt it, and you follow it. Because life is full of tough decisions, it's full of loss, it's full of grief. And as I say to my kids, don't think shit's not going to happen to you. Right. Because it does. And how you handle it makes all the difference. And that's available to all of us. So my hope is that this little book will find its way to your bedside table, your bathroom stall, or wherever, (laughs) um, and will inspire you. It's a super easy read. And uh, I also hope it will comfort you in what I think are turbulent times in our country. But uh, everything you need is already within you. And that's the best piece of, uh, Advice and gift that I can give you is that you are way stronger. One of my favorite quotes is from Emerson that says, "What be, what lies behind us and what lies in front of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us." So, what lies within you is all you will ever need. And um, my hope is that you trust that because that's the most disruptive concept on the planet. So, thank, thank you. you much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shy Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.